Before we begin today's show, I just wanted to let our listeners know that season two of the ESPN Investigates podcast is now available. The Running Man tells the story of an obscure former Olympian, an alleged serial sexual predator, and how a 14-month ESPN investigation brought him out of the shadows. More than 50 men were physically abused and mentally manipulated by their coach for over 40 years until they banded together decades later to find justice. Subscribe and listen now to the ESPN Investigates podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing on Wednesday night. Joining us from Boston, Massachusetts is Timmy Goodtimes, Tim Bontemps. How's it going? Oh, I'm doing well, Brian. How are you? Somebody just got a message. I did. Uh, and I guarantee I know who didn't send the message because he doesn't like to converse with you unless he's mandated on this pod. Is joining us from Dallas, Texas is Tim Band McMahon. I have, some, I have some choice emojis that I send bomb temps from time to time via text. <laughs> I have to say something. The guy uh, who you hear on here on this podcast, this is not uh, an act. This is who McMahon is. <laughs> what do you mean an act? Well, I'm just I'm just just for the folks out there like this is exactly who you are. His his I'll take that as I a mean, compliment. I'm, I'm I'm it is meant to be a compliment. I'm just saying like this is McMahon. This is. McMahon 24-7-365. For all um, that entails. Boy, do we have a big day of NBA news today on this Wednesday in October. Um, so I think we should start with the fact that Daryl Morey, uh, less than two weeks after resigning, in quotes, um, as um, resigning as uh, general manager of the Rockets, saying he didn't know what he was going to do. He might take some time off. Wanted to spend more time with his family. Took another NBA job as president of the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, this had been something that had kind of been rumored, but the Sixers had made so many moves this offseason. They had they had, you know, hired you know, fired Brett Brown, hired his replacement in Doc Rivers, revamped their front office, let some guys go, re, you know, demoted some guys, hired some new guys. Um, the Sixers are you know, there's a report out of Philly today from Keith Pompey that Elton Brand has a three years left on his contract. Well, a month ago, he had one year left on his contract. So uh, I think there was a possibility that Elton Brand got a contract extension that they didn't um, announce. And now they hire team president over the top of them. Um, you know, Daryl, well, McMahon, were you surprised that he was jumping back in right now? I was surprised at the timing, but not the destination. And the reason I was surprised at the timing was because I made the mistake of believing what Daryl said, which is always risky. Um, but Daryl made a point to emphasize that, hey, you know, this is just the right time for me to step away. You know, my daughter's going to take a year off of college. My son just graduated high school. He's going to take a gap year. I want to spend time with them, you know, so on and so forth. And he didn't have to say all that. He didn't have to do these interviews. He could have put a statement out and, and kept it moving. He could have done one Zoom call and kept it moving. Well, I think, I you know, he had the separation agreement, right? Yes. So I don't, I don't know, but 
Boy, he was awfully nice to the Rockets on the way out the door. Right? Oh, no, no question. And look, <laughs> and Tillman said during my little exit interview with them, and they're you know side by side, Tillman said basically, hey, Daryl's going to be a sounding board for me. You know, if he gets back in the NBA, I think it'll be in the East Coast. That's, a, that's what he's kind of, you know. Well, that happened. Always, at, least, at least that happened. Right. So, the, like I said, the destination isn't a surprise. Um, but the people I talked to in Houston were, you know, there were some eyebrows raised, like, really, Daryl? Gap, gap year, gap week. You're already, you're already heading to Philly. You know, his, his, yeah, this, I mean, I don't, has it easy, has I mean, look, I mean, he's, he's going to do what he's going to do. He, you know, whatever, but he kind of, I don't want to say left him high and dry, but he kind of was like, see you later, Houston. I mean, which, you know, this happens in the NBA. It's a business. You know, they could have just as easily fired him and said, hit the bricks. Yeah. But he, he walked on him. Well, Bottom he, he, he walked on him. You know, I would, I don't know for certain, but I would guess he had to give a little something back financially to to go to Philly right away. Um, but look, Daryl, whether intentionally, subconsciously, or coincidentally, Daryl operated over the last year and a half as a guy who wasn't going to be in Houston for very long. And what I mean by that is when you look at the deals that he made, yes, they were absolutely – and Dare was always in a win-now window, but, man, they did some serious future sacrificing uh, with the Westbrook trade and the Covington trade. You know, basically, that's a three picks for sure and two pick swaps. That's – you know, there's not a lot left in the cupboard after these I, next couple I, I, of years. If I were Tillman, I wouldn't pay him another dollar. I mean, I guess you pay him out till the end of this contract year or whatever, but – why would I pay him another dollar when he walked to another team within two weeks? Yeah. Contract I, I, off. I, right. I, <laughs> Severance I think off. That's got to be the case. Um, he did interview Bontemps. Um, he did interview, and depending on who you talk to, was various stages of accepting the president job in Philadelphia um, <clears throat> before last season. I put last season in quotes because it was a year and three months ago or so. Um, uh, much, no, two, two seasons, two off seasons. Two, it was two off seasons ago. Yep. Right. Two off seasons ago. What, after Tillman bought the team. Yep. Hmm. Well, it's interesting because when, when the Sixers hired Sam Hinkie, they interviewed for the job, they didn't take it. And then a year later they hired him. Um, so we know Daryl had some interest in Philly. Uh, Tim, we knew that this was a possibility, but it looked like the Sixers had moved on, right? Like they had not waited for this possibility. Yes and no. I mean, the Sixers look like they moved on because they made a bunch of moves, but it wouldn't be a Sixers offseason if it wasn't full of mass chaos, which basically feels like what this team has been every year for, what, the past six years? More than that, maybe? I mean, you go back all the way, you mentioned Sam Hinkie, you go all the way back to the Sam Hinkie era with the process. I mean, there was always trades and crazy stuff going on. And then there was the Colangelo era, which ended. Yeah, they, they you know, hired a president over the top of him. Right. And then he they hired, you know, hired Jerry Colangelo over the top of him. And then they hired Brian Colangelo and somehow Brett Brown survived all that. I mean, there was just co- constant palace intrigue and drama and uh, changing directions and, you know, fate, you know, Jimmy Butler's in and Jimmy Butler's out and. Tobias Harris is in and Al Horford is in. I mean, there's just been one crazy move after another in Philly. So if you look at it from that standpoint, it's perfectly in line with everything Sixers have done to hire uh, a new coach in Doc Rivers, give Elton Brand authority to go fill out a bunch of spots in the front office. And then after all of that, hire a team president to oversee all of it um, and give him a five-year deal. So 
you know, it's, it's certainly in keeping with everything that's happened in Philly for years now, but if you just look at it at a macro level, the Sixers come out of this offseason with Doc Rivers as a coach, you know, a consensus top five or 10 coach in the league and, and uh, Daryl Morey running the basketball operations. And he's a consensus top five or top 10 guy in that role in the league. So I think if you look at this from a macro sense, despite the messiness that it took to get here, I think you have to say this is a big win for the Sixers to come out of the offseason or go into the offseason with Doc and Daryl in these jobs. Well, plus so yeah, you don't have to worry about Daryl using a burner account. I mean, he, he's going to get his retweets <laughs> and he's going to get his likes. I, you know, he's going to use that uh, at DeMori. He's he's way out there. <laughs> he's way out there. By the way, just as a side you know, piece of business, the Sixers have historically been very active with business in China. Mm-hmm. Um. Not the, to the Rockets level, but McMahon, I mean, uh, Bontemps, right there in their practice facility, they have um, Chinese uh, advertising right there and, and Chinese messaging. And I and I think, if I'm not mistaken, I, I could be mistaken. I'll look this up for a second. Do, 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 I can't find it. But I, I think last year in the initial <laughs> part of the, when the virus hit Wuhan, I, I, I think Philly even put a message on their court um, saying that, uh, you know, sending a message in Chinese to the people of Wuhan. So I don't know how much of a consideration they made, but I mean, obviously there's going to be fallout in China. Daryl Morey's name is not good there, but look, they have to worry about their basketball team. They have to worry about their American business more than that, but it is interesting. Um, Okay, he was with Doc Rivers for many years in Boston. That's where Daryl started his career. Doc was head coach there for, for I think, six years, won a championship, seven years. Um, McMahon, Doc was contacted by several teams immediately after he was hired. Do you think that he would have been under consideration? I mean, would Daryl have hired him in Houston? Daryl wanted to hire Yeah, Daryl wanted to, or he, they at least wanted to bring him in and talk to him. I mean, remember, one reason the Sixers moved so fast is because they wanted to beat the Rockets to the punch. Now, look, I don't know if uh, ultimately Doc Rivers would have found the Houston job as attractive or as lucrative, <laughs> but uh, Daryl Morey was absolutely interested. And so, I'd, look, they have history there. Um, you know, they've got a relationship. Um, so I, I, I don't think that's an awkward fit. I do think that roster is a is a, an awkward fit for – Daryl Morey, and well, that's if, what, that's what that's what's really most important. More than right. you know, more than the intro. I mean, it is interesting, um, but Bontemps, that's what is going to be determined here. He is inheriting a roster that is, on one hand, it's extraordinarily different from the Rockets in that it's built big and slow, whereas the Rockets were small and fast. But on the other hand. Daryl Morey has his career has been as a Rockets general manager was defined by his creative and aggressive things that he did to get and retain star players. That was his driving force, despite everything people say about analytics, despite whatever people say about, um, you know, contracts where I actually thought that he pioneered as many things contract with contracts as he did with analytics. Mm-hmm. He was all about stars, Bon Temps. And so he's coming into a team that does have star players. They don't fit together very well, but they do have star players. That's right. And I think, you know, to McMahon's point, they don't have a roster that fits the way the Rockets have played in Houston the past several years. But 
I think it's probably an incorrect assumption to typecast Daryl Morey as a guy who is only looking to play with a bunch of three-point shooters and no centers. I think to your point, the thing that defines Daryl's 13 years in Houston is his overarching move was to find value wherever possible. Like you mentioned, sometimes that was in creative contracts. Sometimes that was in uh, finding a guy like PJ Tucker that was you know overlooked by people because he wasn't the prototypical size and you know skill set of say an NBA center or an NBA power forward because he's six three or whatever. Um, he would go and find undervalued players that were overlooked and take advantage of them. The, the James Harden trade, even right, he went and found a guy who, frankly, let's be honest, whatever else you want to say about it, the Thunder misjudged how good James Harden was. That's the only reason they would have traded a guy who was that good. So. I think in this scenario, yes, it's an interesting fit and much different than what the what the Rockets had in Houston. But to your point, Brian, he has those two star players. He has Ben Simmons and he has Joel Embiid. So to me, maybe he'll turn around and trade one of those guys. But I think what we're more likely to see is him to sit down and look at this roster and say, okay, I have these two star players who at times in the past have been incredibly successful together mm-hmm. that over time have been less successful as the roster has changed. So how can we get this roster around them, put in a position to maximize their talents. And if we could figure that out, we've got a chance to win a lot of games. But Daryl Morey is a basketball mathematician too. And so the most efficient shot in basketball, the free throw. The second most efficient shot in basketball, uh, you know, three-pointer or, or, or layup. And uh, so James Harden was the perfect centerpiece of a Daryl Morey team and offense. What does that make Ben Simmons? He doesn't shoot threes. He doesn't shoot free throws well. I mean, he can he can he can dunk. Um, so the the Simmons to me much more than Embiid, the Simmons fit is going to be very very interesting. And I've already been told with a few expletives uh, included by somebody with the Rockets that no Daryl Ben Simmons for James Harden is not happening. Don't ask. <laughs> it's not up to the Rockets, is it? Well, the answer is no on that. Okay, but I'm just saying it's not up to the Rockets. What and I what I would say, I, I, I would, go on. No, I, all I was going to say is your point is correct, but I I have a feeling, and I I will be the first to say I've not talked to Daryl about it. I think Daryl would look at Ben Simmons and say he's a super talented player, and I think he can. I think he would look at it and say, how can I find ways to win with this guy, as opposed to I need to find a guy that fits in a different box. I think he'd try to construct a box around that guy that will allow him to win a lot of games with him. And maybe yeah. I'll be proven wrong, but that's, I think that's, if you go over his whole tenure, they've had all these different iterations of teams, right? They had Yao and Tracy. They had, you know, James Harden with Dwight Howard. Then they had James Harden and Chris Paul. Then they had James Harden and Russell Westbrook. And you can argue about how Westbrook got there, but at the end of the day, there was, there was a constant move to try to surround Harden, right? With, pieces that could help him get farther. And I, I just think that we've already seen people start to, you know, I've had people text me today. Are they going to trade Embiid now? Are they going to trade Simmons now? I, I think it's more likely that they try to maximize those guys first before they go try to trade for somebody else. Yeah. And I, I think with those breaking up that pair, I think the question is when, and I, I don't necessarily think the answer is right now. You know, we really haven't seen, the, they shifted Ben Simmons to power forward just before the bubble, and we didn't get to see that play out. 
I think that's interesting because, you know, I do think he has potential to be a, a hyper-athletic, taller version of Draymond Green. And, and, you know, then what pieces do you put around those two guys? You know, there, there's certainly some possibilities there. Uh, I would still bet against that pair being together uh, a couple of years from now. And, you know, Wendy, to your point, when you asked, is it, it's not up to the Rockets, look, at some point, Harden does probably – uh, you know, come to the Rockets and say, "Hey, it's been a great run, but I need to, I need to go try to latch on somewhere else with somebody else." Um, but that's not a right now conversation either. Yeah, I mean, um, it's hard to hundred percent know exactly where the Rockets are going, and it's hard to know where the Sixers are going. To be honest with you, so I understand why people. Oh, are wait going. a minute! Wait a minute! One second. Is it hard to see where the Sixers are going? Well, I don't know what's going to happen with the roster. Well, that, I, I mean, well, I just, uh, okay. I think that's a different thing than where they're like, I think we can all agree that the Rockets are overall headed in a certain direction. I think with the hires the Sixers have made, they're clearly trying to win still for the long term. Well, the what Rockets are trying to win right now. And then it's a matter of when is that window going to close? And then when that window closes, it's probably going to be a, you know, it's not going to be a pretty rebuilding process given the picks that they lack. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this recently. This the the Rockets are set up to rebuild in a year when they control their when they control their draft pick for 22 and 23. They are not set up to rebuild now, but you know, it's as we've seen when it comes to stars, it's not up to the team all the time, you know. Um we'll talk about their coaching hire in a second. Um my expectation I mean, Daryl Morey is it was is if not, I I don't have it in front of me, so I can't say for sure. But my guess is he's been the most active guy in moving players in the last ten years in the NBA. He has done more deals than just about anybody. I think he's probably done the most. Uh, I remember years ago when they um, opened their new locker room, uh, and I was there for media day, and Daryl gave me a tour of the locker room, and. He was showing me the um, the LED screens that were over each locker, which had the player's name and photo, but then it would run stats. And he was bragging about how he was going to tailor the stats for each player to see before the game. And I go, this is actually just so it's easier on your um, equipment guy when you trade everybody because right. the equipment guys run a wild trade changing out uh locker facades um yeah just but, punch it in the computer boom you're ready to roll exactly i mean they had the whole league lined up to just you know upload yeah, now, now they got to punch in the wingspan and all that but still you don't you don't have to <laughs> you know take out the screwdriver <laughs> for yeah. sure for sure you know you have to go have those placards made up you think those things happen on their own um but i just think that you know i mean bontemps he's gonna he's gonna make moves on that roster i'm not saying he's gonna you know trade two of the stars but that roster is not going to look, I mean, I don't know about by Christmas, but it's not going to look the same for very long. Whoever is running that team would have to make moves to that roster. Well, and there's a certain guy in Oklahoma City who Daryl's familiar with who would make a lot of sense, I think, on the Sixers. And I, I think, you know, to me, I, I think it's more likely he tries to find a way mm. to get Chris Paul to Philly than he does try to get Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid elsewhere, personally, at least in the very short term. Because McMahon's point, I think he's going to want to see what these guys can do on the court before you turn around and trade one of them. Because you, you know, you don't often get a guy, guys that are this talented on your team. And if and we could go back and look, like Daryl spent years between Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming trying to find his next star player. Right? I mean, there were four or five years where the Rockets were treading water, making move after move after move, and it didn't 
was not ever clear they were going to get another guy. And then James Harden fell in their lap and everything changed. So, you know, yeah, I think there's definitely going to be changes there. You look at the Al Horford contract, you look at the Tobias Harris contract. Uh, Josh Richardson has one year left of free agency. I think he's a really interesting potential trade piece on a team that's already this expensive. You have Matisse Thibel, uh, who you could probably slide into the starting lineup, really talented wing player, what, excellent defensive player who could shoot a little bit. Um, you know, maybe you try to do, you know, Richardson and, and Horford for Chris Paul or something, right? Like there's, the, you know, Daryl's going to be creative and try to find ways to improve that team. And, you know, to your point, I have a feeling that the Sixers will probably look a lot different, you know, whether it's two months from now or six months from now than they do today. They also have the, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I don't think they would get a pick, but they, they also have the Thunders pick this year. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, Grand Salami's web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. I also wanted to talk about uh, another thing that happened involving the Rockets today, which was uh, the hiring of Steven Silas um, as head coach. After a long coaching search, uh, I thought it was a long coaching search, McMahon, mm -hmm. because they knew Mike D'Antoni wasn't going to come back um, for about a year. <laughs> um, but they definitely went through a process. Um, Jeff Van Gundy was involved. John Lucas was involved. Um, I think Kenny Atkinson was involved before Daryl Morey left. Uh, I, I don't think Atkinson was ever he, a serious candidate. He was one of several that they interviewed, but yeah, the, the serious candidate, I mean, Ty Lue was involved, but that's right. Everybody, That's right. everybody thought that he'd end up taking the Clippers job, which obviously happened. And so, you know, this became a three man uh, a three-man pool with, like you said, Jeff Van Gundy, Stephen Silas, and John Lucas. And, you know, Van Gundy, I, I don't know that there was a lot of buy-in or any buy-in from James Harden or Russell Westbrook. And I don't know that Jeff Van Gundy uh, necessarily wanted to, to, you know, have to beg to coach guys. And so I think personality-wise, that might not have been – uh, a match. Um, he's being Bontemps. He's being very artful in his language right now. He he's I, just pay attention to what he's saying. I get I, I give a man credit for for tap dancing around and he's Texans doing a good job. He's doing, he's doing he's a good doing, job. Oh, is this is this my open? I thought I thought we were on mute. I'm sorry. Go ahead, McMahon. <laughs> yeah. So we can just say that Van Gundy was the considered the lead candidate all season long, and I. I think that the most important decision maker for the Rockets wasn't quite so sure about that one. 
Um, <laughs> now, John Lucas absolutely was is popular with the players in that locker room. There's no question about that. But I think Silas is the best kind of blend of modern day uh, X's and O's expertise and the ability to to build rapport with players. You know, I don't think it's a coincidence, for example, that Luka Doncic was was quick to tweet his uh, his congratulations. Um, he's a, he's a brilliant offensive mind. Um, certainly, you know, didn't get, uh, didn't, didn't do anything but, uh, benefit basketball wise from working with Rick Carlisle for the last, uh, few years. And, and he will, he won't clash personality wise with the, the Hardens and Westbrooks and Tuckers and, you know, guys like that in that locker room. I, I do think it's fair to ask, you know, will Steven Silas, who is a, a very mild mannered guy? You know, his, his dad his dad was a big kind You're of intimidating so persona. Right. It is amazing how different they yeah. are. And, and, he, and also, his dad is enormous, and Stephen yeah. is a is a string bean, and always right. has been. Right. So Stephen is is a he's a extremely intelligent, but he's not a guy who maybe I just haven't seen it, but doesn't seem like a guy who commands a room. You know, he just doesn't have that kind of dominant type of personality and so it'll be interesting to see how that works with a veteran team i'll say this though dan tony's not that kind of guy either dan tony kind of you know he he used self-deprecating humor a lot uh to to manage the locker room but steven's smart enough to understand that's james harden's locker room it's russell westbrook's locker room it's pj tucker's locker room um and that he's working with those guys and they're not working for him so look I've known Stephen Silas since 2003. Paul Silas, his father, is one of my mentors. Like he, I covered him my first two years. He t- he helped teach me the NBA. I think his mother, Paul's wife, Carolyn, is just the most wonderful woman. Um, Paul, I know this is a saying that's as old as time, but I had never heard it before. Um, Paul taught me the saying, happy wife, happy life. Um, and I have a photo on my phone of being at Paul's house with Paul and Carolyn, with her holding a placard that she had in her house that said, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> um, uh, so look, I have an extraordinary affinity for the Silas family. I am acknowledging that bias right now. Um, I love Paul Silas. I love that man. He's a wonderful man. Um, Steven is an incredibly hard worker. Uh, you know, he is, you know, he was an assistant for approaching 20 years. Okay. So, I mean, not quite 20 years, but approaching it. No, I um, think actually exactly. I was just looking it up. It's exactly 20 years. I guess if you count, you take away maybe a year or two for scouting, but he's, he's been working for the, in the NBA since 1999. Okay. So, uh, let me say that, um, I think the biggest question he has, he just came off. What, what was his specific role, McMahon? Was he offensive? Yeah, he was the he was the offensive coordinator. Okay, you know, which look obviously Rick Carlisle's going to have his right. fingerprints all over the offense, but he was he was the for the uh, greatest the, the offense lead in offensive history. assistant. Yep, for the greatest, most efficient offense in NBA history. Um. I just, you know, I, I'm not saying that, you know, this this isn't much of a choice, but like my my first question is, is James Harden going to isolate as much with Steven Silas running the show as he, you know, James Harden's one of the greatest isolation players of all time. I'm not saying right. they need to take it out of the offense, but I'm saying 
is he going to isolate as much? Is that going to be how Steven Silas is going to operate? Is he going to come in and say those big giant keys that you had that ran this whole thing under D'Antoni, you can just keep that key. Or is he going to, is he going to do something to it? Because I am, I mean, I'm just going to be honest. I'm watching James Harden very, very closely yeah. over the next four to six months, uh, Bon Temps. Yeah, look, I mean, with the Ro- the Rockets are in a period of transition. I think it's pretty safe to say that. You know, Daryl Morey's out. Mike D'Antoni's out. You know, McMahon said it best before. This team has a shelf life at this point. Is the shelf life two, three years? Is the shelf life this coming season? Is the shelf life halfway through the season and James says the hell with this I've had enough so you know I, I I think you're right he's a guy that I think you have to keep an eye on from that standpoint and I think for me it's less that what happens with Harden for me and it's what can Steven Silas do with Russell Westbrook because we saw with the Rockets this year when the Rockets played well it was with when Westbrook was playing well because Harden's going to kind of always do his thing um, almost no matter what but if we have Westbrook playing well with Harden, then they're a dangerous team. If Westbrook is the guy he was at the beginning of the season or the guy who was in the bubble, who for a variety of reasons was not himself, they're not good enough. And so I, I actually think that's the part I'm more curious about with Steven Siles. Can he find the ways like D'Antoni did at times during the season to have Russell Westbrook looking like Russell Westbrook again? Right, and, and you mentioned, I think D'Antoni left a pretty good blueprint there. I mean, Westbrook, for a two-and-a-half-month period before the season was stopped, played the most efficient ball of his career, averaging 32-8-8. Eight eight. Um, you know, basically from when they committed to being a, a small ball team until the season ended, and then we've talked about it before, coronavirus, quad, and he's a shell of himself. And look, one thing Steven Silas isn't, is a is a doctor or an athletic trainer. So I think the biggest key to Westbrook is keeping him healthy. And he really doesn't have yep. a whole lot of control over that aside from, you know, load management and, you know, managing minutes and all those kind of things. But, you know, it's not like Silas is going to a place that boy, you know, they've struggled offensively. They really need him to uh to fix it. He he maybe needs will will tweak some things, but I don't think you're going to taking over a team with Harden and Westbrook that's been a great offensive team and saying, okay, guys, we got to fit you into my system. Um, you know, the other thing is, uh, you know, when we talk about kind of dealing with strong personalities and rookie head coach, this and that, his staff is going to be extremely important. And the Rockets are targeting, uh, you know, former head coaches to, to be on his staff. They, they really want to keep John Lucas uh, perhaps in a more prominent role. Um, they've talked to Nate McMillan. They've talked to Jeff Hornacek. Um, so they're going to be trying to surround him, Silas, with guys who have been head coaches in this league. Nate McMillan would be a really good hire. Yeah, and I he'd be he'd be I, their I defense he, coordinator. Yeah, I mean, that I think make a lot said, of sense. Well, I mean, I don't know anything that happened, but I think when he when he got fired, he said he intended to take next year off. He's still getting paid, but anything can happen. Um, you know, Stephen Silas had several rounds of interviews, and this took a long time. My guess is that this was really fully vetted on how he wants to play. Doesn't mean that's how it'll happen, but. Um, well, and look, he ha- obviously he had conversations with James Harden. He had conversations. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those things where you don't really know who made the hire. You know, I remember. I don't Tillman- think Harden made the hire, but he had veto power. Okay. Rightfully. I, guess what? You don't yeah, think no, Kawhi I, Leonard I, did not, flippers and on and on? I'm not criticizing that. I'm not criticizing that. When Tillman went on CNBC 
shortly after the Rockets were eliminated. And he said, uh, I'm read my book, which he always says. And he says, two, <laughs> I know from running businesses that you put good people in place. I'm not going to make the hire. Daryl Morey is safe. He's not going anywhere and he's making this hire. Well, Daryl Morey was going somewhere. It was to another team. Daryl Morey got hired for another job before Steven Siles got hired. <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, this was a this was a pretty important hire. And Raphael Stone, who's a general manager, is five minutes into the job. Um, this process is interesting. And, you know, I do think that they made a good hire, though. But I, I can't see the future, but he's going to be a good head coach. Well, and, and but, Tad Brown, their CEO, who's been there for, for a long time, you know, he, he was part of this process as well. Um, and Steven Silas, it's not like he was a, a stranger. You know, he was one of the finalists when they hired D'Antoni. So this was right. his second go-round. Um, going through this process with the Rockets. And so, you know, he was definitely high on the list to start and obviously ended up getting the job. Well, I, I suspect that he knows exactly who his starting lineup is going to be. I would be surprised if the, well, I guess I shouldn't be surprised if anything. I, I don't well, anticipate the Rockets making a big move. Well, one thing, one thing I think you've talked about in the past, man, is that they might potentially try to get a center to, to at least play some pick and roll stuff, which, which I heard you know, going back to, I heard Nene's available. <laughs> <laughs> well, going going back to uh, going back to Dallas. I mean, I know it's not a, a exactly the same, and obviously Carlisle's been doing stuff before Steven was there. But you know, Dallas had a heck of a lot of success with Luca playing with Rollman there. So you know, I think. Um, and by the way, you know, that that's one way they could tweak the team a little bit without having to do anything drastic. And look, the Harden Capella combo was very successful. And if Dwight Howard actually would have ever rolled to the basket, perhaps that would have been as well. Maybe they can sign Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard can go on his on his ongoing That's right. Oh my god! And listen, after he went back to the Lakers and, and had success, I guess you can never say never. That's right. But I did mention it before. Uh, they they tried to backfill it uh, before the deadline. Nerlens Noel was a target. He's a free agent. He would be in that you know in the in the right price range. Um, so we'll we'll see. But yeah, well, I, one I, of my my favorite my my favorite low key center in this class is Aaron Baines. I love Aaron Baines. Not exactly a lob threat, but yeah, he's interesting. That's true, but he can shoot the outside shot. Yeah. Um, but, um, not great. I mean, uh, you know, you know who else is out there is Myers Leonard. Yeah. I mean, there's some options. Alex yeah. Len. Yeah. I mean, I, Alex Len is interesting, I, I, but I expect him to sign somebody of that ilk Maybe not to start at center, but to to give them a different dimension. So you know, to to give them a Hassan Whiteside style. Oh boy, hey, you never you never know. Someone's <laughs> going to sign him. Probably not not probably not to another max deal. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. 
And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. Um, one of the other pieces of news happened today. And, and Daryl, to the, um, as you said, McMahon, him going to the Sixers was a surprise in timing, but not it didn't knock anybody over, I don't think. It may knock some people over in China based on some people I've been texting with, but it's another story. Um, the Utah Jazz sold. Yeah. <laughs> not for sale, sold. Um, this is a, I mean, I don't want to get too wonky uh, because this is a real commentary on what's happening in the NBA right now. The other thing is I just frankly don't know that much about it. Um, this snuck up on a lot of people. Um, the Miller family uh, has owned the Jazz since the mid-'80s. He bought the Jazz over two years, bought one half one year, one half the next year, uh, Larry Miller. Um, and uh, for a, for about uh, – I think it was $24 million. It was $24 million. Yep. Um, sold today with the arena. And that's key with the arena. Yeah. For about $1.7 billion. I don't know the value of the arena. I don't know how much debt was with the arena. Uh, saying that the team sold for $1.66 billion, that's. When, when he bought, when they bought, the Miller family bought it for what, $0.024 billion? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Obviously a huge return. But I'm, I'm just saying, like, people are saying, oh, man. You know, I had this conversation with Bontemps earlier today. He's like, boy, this is a great indication of the health of the league. And I was like, well, yes, um, it's good, but it, it's because it's with the arena. I'm not, you know, I, I just arena, I don't know. To... The AAA baseball team. Yeah, I don't care about any of that. I, the only thing that had really had value other than another deal is the arena. If um, the NBA was in trouble, people wouldn't be buying teams. That's all. Well, was. this without, was the richest, the, the richest guy in Utah, who's a huge jazz fan, bought this team. He still he still spent a lot of money to buy a team. That was all yeah. my point was. Yeah, no, it's a, it is a, it's not a bad sign. Um, uh, the, you know, for for jazz fans, I think the main thing they care about is that this is a Utah guy, and there's no threat of moving this team. You know, it's not so, like they, they sold it to a group that's right. in Vegas or Seattle. Or, right, right, right. And they, and they never would. But why sell now? Uh, they had a very brief press conference where they took no questions today. Um, why sell now? That well, is what I want. That is an interesting thing. 1.66 billion reasons that it was a good well, time. But they could have sold any. Well, this is a guy. This is a guy that's come to them multiple times, tried to buy the team too. I mean, look, I'm I think, sure multiple people have come to the Lakers to buy. Well, the no, team. I, I'm just saying. I think to your to your point. Look, the the Miller family wants the team to stay in Utah long term, right? That's why they start this legacy. They put the team in a trust a few years ago to make sure that happened. Well, if they are ever going to sell the team, this is the guy, Ryan Smith, they're going to sell it to. Sold this tech company for $8 billion re in recent years. He's a season ticket holder, I think. He's had a ton of games. He's a huge jazz fan. This always was the guy who made sense to buy it. And when the league is in the situation it's in right now, where the finances are in rough shape and you're probably going to lose money in upcoming years, it's not a bad time to sell if you have if you're able to position the team the way you want it to if you're the especially if you're the smallest market in the league you've already had to furloughs layoffs so on and so forth that's right i mean yeah it's a really good time for the for the millers to sell that's what i'm saying i think the the, the, the issue is 
I don't think, I mean, I don't know. I, I want to be clear. I don't know. But I, I wonder if the Millers looked at the short-term future and were like, I don't know if this is for us. Um, and that maybe considering that they've got Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert up for extensions. Right. That's a, that's an important, could be a pretty important transaction to where the Jazz might have had to go, McMahon. Yeah, the Jazz could get a lot more expensive. And, and it's another reason if I'm a Jazz fan, I'm excited because, you know, the, the ownership pockets just got deeper. And you know, this is a 40-year-old self-made billionaire who's been a Jazz fan, you know, since... 40 years old. That's... Right. Robert Parra was in his 30s. Yeah, I want to say he was 38 when he bought the Mavs. Okay. I might be off there. But but I, I think that this is a guy who's going to come in with a lot of passion, a lot of enthusiasm, you know, as a, as a lifelong fan who, you know, recognizes the kind of the situation that the Jazz are in right now. And I, I think where maybe some, sometimes the belt was going to be tightened under the Millers. And I, and I don't know this guy, I, you know, I've, I've not talked to him, but my hunch is that I, I'm sure he's he, a big reader of your stuff, McMahon. I'm sure he's a big fan. I, w- I would hope so. But my hunch is that uh, he's going to, his, his, uh, his wallet will, will match his, fan enthusiasm at least early on in his tenure well he, and I, he's kind of he's kind of the uh the salt lake city version of steve Ballmer. well and i think to your point mcmahon you know i i don't think it guarantees anything necessarily but i certainly think a move like this uh to me increases the chances of an extension getting done with rudy gobert in particular i mean as brian as brian's termed it the donovan mitchell super max extension is the fun max that that is not going to be much of a negotiation you wouldn't yeah. think um, the Rudy extension could be a little complicated. However, you know, like you said, the Millers at times, you know, the, the jazz have been run like a small market team and that could have maybe gotten to a point where, you know, maybe it got a little too expensive. Maybe the jazz are going to be in the tax, you especially combined with the current financial state of the league. Maybe things are a problem. I think certainly, like you said, with a guy who's clearly a massive jazz fan, super, uh, active, enthusiastic fan of the team who has bought the team and has plenty of money, you would think that if there's a way to get a Rudy extension done, that money is not going to be the object here. Especially a guy who's tweeted, yeah, tweeted about how underrated Rudy is. That's right. That's right. Rudy will like that. Underrated he is when he's I'm asking sure for Rudy, 30, yeah. 35 sure Rudy million a year. Like <laughs> um, so, like, uh, yeah, but this even has more in, in short term, like uh, – one of the guys who's un, an uncertain kind of market is Jordan Clarkson, who was a pretty important. Didn't they have some ungodly record when he scored ten points or something like that? Yeah, they yeah. were really good. They were yeah. really good. I mean, the the trade for Clarkson and some other tweaks rotation wise, their bench went from horrific to you know solid. Well, and look, set and to your point, McMahon. Let's set aside the Rudy thing for now because that doesn't kick in for a year. If to say the Jazz, if he says to Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck in their front office, hey, let's go into the taxes here and get better, they can re-sign Clarkson and potentially use their whole full mid-level exception on a player. And if the Jazz, <laughs> I, would not have, I would not have foreseen that move. Well, that was not happening with the Millers, for sure. And, you know, and that's not this, I don't want to turn this into a knock fest on the Millers. They're, they've been a, one of the best stablest ownerships in the league for decades. I mean, they, they basically have, they have two they people have running class, the team. They have a first class organization. That's right. But if, if you're looking at this from a Jazz perspective with a team that's ready to win right now, like they might, if, you, if they're willing to push the envelope a little bit, they might be able to add 
another high quality player. Because if you have the full mid-level exception this offseason to go spend right. on a player, you're going to get a good player. I will so say this. You can maybe Yon- keep Jordan Clarkson and add a guy, and then all of a sudden the Jazz are looking pretty good with Boyan coming back. As McMahon just referenced, when young self-made billionaires buy teams, they usually don't come in like lambs. Yeah. You know, well, this guy's I mean, a grown up. Not, not everybody's going to be too. Like, right, if there's anybody who's going to come in and be excited to spend money on a good team, it's you got to think it's going to be this guy. Maybe not like Tillman, who ran out on the court after his first win as an owner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or, or, or Cuban, who ran out on the court and screamed at the rest after his first loss. Is that uh, right? I don't remember. I, that. I mean, oh. I'm, I'm, I'm it's kidding, a safe but bet. I wouldn't be surprised. It's, yeah. a, safe, it's a safe bet. He's done it after several losses. But that, I mean, look, I mean, I'm not saying this guy's going to be Mark Cuban at all, but like that's just, that's around the same age range as when Cuban came in and bought the maps. Like, there's not a lot of times you this see guy doesn't who, have quite the Cuban money. I don't think. Well, well, I'm just he sold his company for eight billion. Yeah, yeah but I, he was he had you know he wasn't. The my only point is no, that, I, my only point I, is that you don't see a lot of people this young walking in and buying teams. Very often. Yeah. I also you know? think the difference, and this will, uh, this is also kind of tells you how good it is to invest in an NBA team. Typically, uh, Cuban bought the Mavericks for four hundred twenty million, and it was considered a crazy overpay at the time. This guy just bought the Jazz for you know a little under one point seven billion, and the arena. <laughs> I want to point that out. Right. And the arena, yeah. the arena is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, it is interesting that they sold that. You know, we have another team for sale in the the wolves and the wolves are not selling. And I think it's because they don't have a Ryan Smith yeah, who bought the team. I don't know if we even said his name yet. Ryan Smith is the guy's name who bought the jazz. Um, they don't have a local guy who's a billionaire who wants nothing more to own the team and keep them there. Well, Kevin Garnett, you know? but yeah, well, he doesn't have a billion dollars. <laughs> so, true. um, you know, um, and you know, so that's, that's, you know, an interesting thing, but I'll tell you one thing. If I was Glenn Taylor, who owns the wolves and has had him for sale several times, and I saw this sale, <laughs> I'm I'm not lowering my asking price because well, well, and this just tells you too what the price what the price is that the wolves got to a position where they they could be sold with no strings attached to staying in Minnesota. That's a team that could sell for a lot of money. I'm not saying we're going to get to that point, but you just but look at not- it. That's not the case. No, I know. I'm just, it's just, they could sell for a lot of money. Yeah. That was the case. But it's not. Um, okay. So, um, yeah, Rudy Gobert is probably taking a, 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 you know, Ryan Smith's probably taking a page out of McMahon's book and he's going to go get uh, uh, pedicures with Rudy Gobert soon. <laughs> and this extension is going to be nice. I don't know about pedicures up. in a pandemic, but okay. Well, you, there's plexiglass in between. Well, I'm just, like <laughs> oh, I said before. Know. I feel better about that getting done. And I, I am curious to see if the Jazz do have a little wiggle room to spend, maybe more than we thought uh, going into this offseason, because that could make a, a really significant difference for them. They could add another real difference-making player to that team. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, a lot went down the NBA today. A lot more is happening. We should know by the end of the week um, an idea of what the schedule for next season is going to be. Not everybody's happy about that, and that will play out in the coming days. But uh, we'll be talking about that soon. Plus, we got a draft coming up. Um, so we'll be doing some draft coverage here on the Hoop Collective. Thank you for listening. Thank you to McMahon. Thank you to Bontemps. Thank you to Troy back in Connecticut who is putting this together. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. I didn't even really get a chance to yell at Bontemps, but okay, I guess we're done. Too much, too much stuff was happening today. 
there, there, there's always more opportunities for that. That's true.